0: the mental health field needs to shift. My mission ultimately is to help people live more and stress less. Trauma is not the event, it's the reaction our body has to the event. I was a high achiever because I was constantly in a stress response. Rest is necessary for productivity. You can still achieve, but we have to learn that rest has to happen if we're going to sustain. We cannot out-eat, out-train, out-supplement, out, exercise our trauma. So if you experience childhood trauma, you are going to have to learn how to process that traumatized response, and you're going to have to learn how to sit with it and hold it and become friends with it, and then let it go.
1: Erica, so... I love that you're coming on the show because I think I crossed paths with your feed very ironically in a time that I was feeling very burned out myself. And so I feel like the universe kind of gave me these messages at a time that I needed to hear. And it was about a episode and a conversation that you had and talking about burnout and how it's really running rampant in our society. So when you look at your career and all of the work that you've done, how would you define your mission and why is it important?
0: This is such a great question and thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and I do believe that things happen for a reason. There's no coincidences, so I have no doubt that I crossed your path um, on wherever how I passed crossed your path for a reason. And so for me, I am a mental health professional. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist by trade, turned into an integrated mental health professional. And in my almost 20 years of doing this, right, I am trauma informed. And what I was noticing is the mental health field needs to shift and it needs to shift so that it becomes more accessible, effective, non-pathological, right, and definitely non-stigmatizing. We need to shift how we're looking at mental health. And so that became my vision of where I would like to be. And my mission ultimately is to help people live more and stress less, coming from a trauma-informed nervous system-based approach.
1: I love that because I think that, you know, I always talk about this, how we're in a society that goes really fast. And it teaches us that you are successful if you're going fast and that if you're not And if you're, you know, doing other things or you're not doing enough, you're lazy. But what do I need to understand about you and your background to understand the person I'm talking to? Because I feel like a lot of us get into these fields for specific reasons. So what attracted you and how did you get to where you're at now?
0: That's a really great question again, and I think it kind of um, it comes in parts and pieces, just like everybody's life, right? We have all these different seasons to our life, and you know, I did not want to be a therapist growing up; that was nowhere on my radar. I was a DJ, a former DJ, I should say, DJ Shorty E really? coming at you, and <laughs> <love> um, that. <laughs> and with that being said, you know, I was big in the bar scene, and right, and I was a server, and. I was thinking I was going to be the next CEO of Sony Music Records, really. Like, that's where my head was going. And I was also a dancer. I took tap jazz, ballet, and modern. And I was also wanting to be a lead choreographer for Janet Jackson, go on tour with her and just dance my life away. And, you know, as life has it, right, things happen. And what, ended up happening for me was a boyfriend that I was dating at the time in my early 20s passed away suddenly in a motorcycle accident. And that was pivotal for me. Um, and I went through a crazy period, you know, my life completely spiraled out of control. And I was doing things I probably should not have been doing. And it wasn't that I had a death wish, I just was kind of like lost. I didn't know where I was heading what to do, right, my whole world just turned upside down. And so I ended up having to go to therapy, right. And when I went to therapy, it was The woman that I went to, she was ahead of her time. She was into mindfulness at that point. And she was also very much into the mind-body connection. And we did a lot of CBT work and stuff. But through that experience, I learned I wanted to be a therapist. I didn't know how I was going to be a therapist because I just finished um, undergrad with a business degree. So here I am. Business degree, I'm out in the workforce and I am hating my life. I don't know how I'm going to get to where I want to be. And then one day, the guy that I was dating now um, at that point, he said to me, Erica, if money's not an option, what would you do? Well, lo and behold, the first thing that came flying out of my mouth was therapist. And about six months later, I was in a grad school program for marriage and family therapy. And it was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. And going forward, You know, it just started to unravel when I was sitting in grad school, my first night at grad school, I can remember the class, I'm sitting there and I said to myself, I want to do this. I'm going to be a professor. I'm going to own my own private practice. I'm going to have these things in place and I will do this. And I'm proud to say that I did end up doing all of that. I did end up becoming a professor. I did teach human development, dysfunctional family processes, intergenerational family processes, and couples therapy. I was a clinical director. I owned my own private practice. And so um, ultimately, I did everything I wanted to do. But then I realized, oh, I want to make the world my classroom. And so when the pandemic hit, I decided to resign from my position as a professor at Central Connecticut State University. And then I went ahead and created the Burnout Professor. And here we are today.
1: I'm going to ask you a question, and I have a reason why I want to ask you this. Sure. And I'll get to that in a second. But what was your upbringing like? What were your what was your relationship like with your parents? Um, Depends
0: on which parent you're talking about. And... <laughs> If you go by the aces score, right? Um, I score pretty high on my aces. And with that being said, I did not have a picture perfect fairy tale childhood whatsoever. I did witness domestic violence. Um my parents divorced when I was relatively young, and my mom was a hustler, you know, and she went. When my parents divorced, um, my mom went and got a job with only a high school degree, and then she ended up rising through the ranks and became vice president of a company, right? So I witnessed a strong woman who was able to hustle her way and do what she needed to do. Not to mention, um, I am part Italian and Sicilian, so I have this whole background of you just put your nose to the grindstone and you go for it, right? You keep doing what you have to do to keep making it and figure out how to make it right. You hustle and you hustle and you hustle. Um, not to mention, I think, I think another important piece for people to understand is I grew up in um, getting sick quite often in my life and the doctors didn't know why a lot of the time the doctors were telling me it was in my head. It was because my parents were getting divorced and they were trying to say that it was psychosomatic. Um, But comes to find out I ended up having an incurable lung disease that did not get diagnosed till I was in my mid thirties. But back go back into my high school years, my senior skip day, I was getting part of my lung removed and the doctors didn't know why they just knew that part of my lung wasn't functioning anymore. Mm -hmm. So I've experienced Trauma on several different levels, so to speak, and not to mention the one that made me become the burnout professor—the ultimate one, <laughs> the Mac yeah. dump truck where it merged into my lane.
1: So you know, the reason why I ask you this is because you sound a lot like how even a lot of myself. Really, I was always a high achiever in so many ways. Like, I joined the Marine Corps had to, you know, I am like, I can work in a prison. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I always go in 125%. And I noticed that with people, at least I can speak for myself. I noticed that with me that a lot of my high achievement, I can see a lot of relevance in my childhood. You know, my mom was super independent, but I had a lot of turmoil in my childhood. So much like you, I was so lost in so many ways. And I never did like you know, bad illegal things, but I did a lot of things I shouldn't have been doing. And a lot of that link to how I am now and that high achievement is stemmed so much from my childhood. So I would love to hear your take. Do you feel like there's a connection between people who are super high achievers and burnout and what is that connection with our past?
0: Without a doubt. I do not doubt that at all. Um, You know, there's a phrase going around on the reels lately that I've been catching, and it's called trauma ambition. And it says, you know, after you burn out, don't be surprised when you start to heal your trauma that you start to feel like you're lazy because you're not doing as much. And I Mm -hmm. think that stems, you know, ultimately, it's important to understand what the trauma response is, right? Trauma is not the event, it's the reaction our body has to the event. And so when you're in a trauma response, you are either in fight, flight, or you are just done, right? And you freeze. And so for me, I think most of my life, I was a high achiever because I was constantly in a stress response. I was constantly Fighting, I was constantly going forward, right? And doing whatever I could, I would micromanage the crap out of my life. Everything was in my control, like color coded, if I was taking notes, I mean, stupid things like that. And so I think what's important for high achievers to understand is if you don't have a healthy way to regulate your nervous system and get it out of a stress response or a trauma response, you are going to burn yourself out a lot quicker than somebody who does not have that as a starting point. And as we know, if you grew up with stress in your family's chronic stress or trauma in your families, right, you are already going to have a dysregulated nervous system from the get go. And so you have to learn as an adult how to regulate that so that you can start to function And know what patience feels like, even though it's irritating and it's like your Achilles heel, or how to sit still. And you don't want to sit still because when you sit still, you start to feel like you're lazy and you feel like you're slacking or you're not motivated. And understanding rest is a good thing. Rest is necessary for productivity. You can still achieve, but we have to learn that rest has to happen if we're going to sustain.
1: So talking about the nervous system, and I love this subject, the people listening, you know, we know we talk about this a lot, but how do we start to regulate that? How does stress and burnout manifest in the brain, in the nervous system? Because a lot of people, we can talk about this all day, but they're like, okay, but this is like ingrained with who I am. This is just me. This is just who I am. I can't change that. But can we?
0: Oh, we can. Oh, we can. Um, so a lot of it starts with understanding where you are in your nervous system. And when you can understand where you are in your nervous system, that's... Um, it's self-awareness, number one, right? And how do we become in tuned with our bodies? That means we have to start taking time to get to know our bodies. And we that doesn't necessarily mean that you sit and meditate, because I actually don't recommend meditation right away if you're used to going, going, going all the time. Because if you start off with meditation and learning to, I mean, and just sitting still, it's going to be painful. It's going to feel like you're crawling out of your skin and it's going to not feel good. So getting to know your body can look very in different ways, it can start to look like this. You can start to, if you're in a stress response, not a trauma response, but a stress response where you have an elevated heart rate, your eyes are dilated, you know, and you have the shallow breathing and that kind of stress response, working out, walking, exercises, getting to know your body that way is a great thing. Body scans is another great way to start to understand your body. Um, Learning how to form connections and i don't mean connections where you're talking with other people but connecting to within your body you know the yoga y- industry right they take the right hand put it on your heart your left hand on your stomach and you anchor in and you do some breathing exercises that's another great way to start to get into your body it's really nothing big it's my opinion it's the simple practical things that you'd look at me and be like really? That's what I need to do? And it's those simple, tiny things that can start to help regulate your nervous system. I think if we can switch the word regulate into creating a flexible nervous system, that's what we're looking to do. We're looking to build our window of tolerance, right? By Dr. Dan Siegel. How do you build your window of tolerance of stress? And that's all these little things of what you can do. Breath work, yoga, focal point exercises, meaning where you stare at a point on the wall and you learn how to sit still by just staring at a point on the wall. And through those little exercises over time with repetition is what helps build that window of tolerance, helps it make it expand. And when you can make that expand, that means you can handle stress for longer periods of time. If, however, you're on the other side of this and you are in full-blown burnout right? Where you just feel like you got hit by a Mac dump truck and you got nothing left to give. That's when rest is so important. I can't stress that enough. Rest, rest, rest. Your body is telling you, Hey, you haven't listened to me. So I'm going to make you listen. Now you need to lay down and sit still and rest and sleep.
1: So what does that look like health wise? So we're stressed out. We're burned out. What is that doing to our body? Does it affect our brain? Does it affect our health? What does that manifest into?
0: It affects a lot of things, right? It is not such a black and white issue. And so in the beginning, when you start to get stressed out, you start to notice you go for comfort foods more, right? Your taste buds are looking for the comfort and the nurturing foods. And that's usually sweets because sweets is tied to your mother's breast milk. And so that's what your body is instinctively looking for is sweets or foods that satiate you. And then also you start to, that's why you want your cheese fries, FYI, people, or your carbs in your, like, I was a cheese fries person or mac and cheese. That was what my go-to was when I was stressed out. And so you start to do that. Then you start to notice your intake in coffee goes up or you start drinking more wine at the end of the day, right? Because you're looking to raise your energy during the day and then you're looking to decrease your energy at night. You start to notice you're losing patience with your loved ones. And so that starts happening. And then you start to notice if that keeps going, you start scrolling on your phone, you get lost on TikTok for the next five hours and you wonder how the heck did you get that far? Then you start to notice you have GI issues, right? Like I'm Italian, right? So it's agita to me. It's like I get agita and it's like, oh, this burning won't go away. You start to notice your breathing issues happening and or you go to the doctor and you're like, hey, I don't know what's wrong, but something's wrong. And the doctor's going to end up telling you you have IBS or something because it's they don't know exactly what's wrong, but something's going on. And if you continue to have these chronic stressors and they're not going away or you're not able to manage it in a way that helps you bring reprieve into your body, that's when you start to get physically ill even more. And that's when the mental illnesses will start to appear. That's when we can start to think in terms of symptoms of anxiety, symptoms of depression, symptoms of ADHD. And we start heading in that direction. We start noticing um, autoimmune diseases start to form as well. And then finally, if you still haven't really found a way to help regulate and create a flexible nervous system, you will end up flat out in bed with your brain not working. It will be like it just shut off and then your body won't work either.
1: Mm -hmm. So, We're in full-fledged burnout and somebody says to you, this is just my life. This is just who I've always functioned like this. I don't know how to change it. I don't know what to do. I don't know what my purpose is. And I always love to ask people this question on how you define purpose because I feel like we all have different answers for what that is. But that seems to be the definitive question that I always get with clients, with people around me how do I find my purpose? Do you find that people who go through burnout are seeking what their purpose is? And if so, how do we find that? Like, what was that defining moment for you? Because it sounds like you went through that. And so for Joe or Mary or whoever's listening, that's saying, Hey, that was me. I'm going through that right now. And I don't know what road to to take. What advice would you have for them? Did you guys know that I'm not only a therapist, but I'm also a coach and a professional tarot reader. Now it's not exactly me hovering over a crystal ball, telling your future. It's a way to connect with your guides on life issues, such as career and love and spirituality. And sometimes people need one-on-one coaching to help them through breakups, toxic relationships, healing the mother wound, their spiritual path, or navigating tools as an empath. So I do all of these things to help my clients pursue life. Life and decisions and understand themselves so if you are interested in one-on-one coaching or a tarot reading click the link below to get started okay back to the podcast
0: I think it's important to know that I didn't know my purpose when I was burning out you know in 2014 when I was driving to work and I got hit by the Mac dump truck right and I am blessed to be here I am lucky to be alive and I had emergency surgery that day to save my foot Then I was in the hospital for a week and then I had a three month recovery. I had to learn how to walk all over again, you know? And then that was just the Mac dump truck moment for me. And then over the next two years, I had a black cloud over my head that did not go away. Every single area of my life that was, every every area of my life at that point is no longer the same. Like nothing about my life is the same as it was in 2015. And so during that black cloud, I can remember thinking, what the heck am I missing here? Right? Like, I don't understand. Like, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve all of this? Like, what? I can't make it stop. I've tried everything that I know to make it stop and the black cloud will not quit. And I think it's important to know, though, I knew there had to be a purpose for me to be here on earth. I mean, I almost died in that car accident. I don't know how I survived that car accident. So I kept saying to myself, all right, I survived that there must be a reason why I'm still here. I just have to hold on long enough until it becomes apparent to me. But until then, I'm going to keep showing up, putting my best foot forward, whatever that may look like that day. That didn't mean I went 10,000 steps ahead each day. Sometimes that meant I stayed in bed some days because I needed to rest. I needed to relax. I had to learn how to start listening to my body because as a high achiever, And somebody with a lot of trauma, I shut down my ability to learn how to listen to my body. And that's just a trauma response. We shut down that ability to listen to the body. So part of the recovery was start to listen. Does this make me feel good or does this make me feel bad? And then I started to listen, pay attention, become self-aware in that respect. And you will find your purpose in those little tiny moments when you least expect it. It's never, I don't think in my experience and with my client's experience, it's never this huge, Ah, I got it. It's this little quiet voice that's nagging you and it doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. And it keeps coming and coming and coming until it's like, did you hear me yet? Did you get it yet? This is what you're supposed to be doing, you know, because I did not like talking. I did not ever expect I would be a public speaker or a a keynote speaker for that matter. I did not expect that. And that was thrown at me. And I just learned how to say yes. I started to say yes thing- to things that showed up at my doorstep. And then that's the guide. That's your guide until you realize, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be.
1: I think for me too, it was, I never necessarily knew what I was supposed to do, but I knew what I didn't want. I knew that, you know, the military was not something that I wanted to do. It was not my forever job. I was miserable. I knew that I didn't want to work in the prison anymore. That, I mean, that was just a Mm -hmm. traumatic experience in and all of itself. I always knew when to say, this is no longer serving me. And it was always that gut feeling. And whenever I think about that, it was always leading me in a different direction, guiding me, Hey, you need to move somewhere else. But ultimately I had to believe it when it showed up because I think too many people question it. They question that feeling that saying like, I just feel stuck because I don't know which route to go, but really it's something in your intuition that's saying you can go left or right. Either way is going to be a a path for you, but staying stuck and staying where you are right now is no longer serving you. But I think we tend to ignore that little voice inside of us or that big voice that's telling Mm -hmm. us because of fear.
0: We're yes. afraid
1: of the unknown. We're afraid of what if it doesn't work? What if I lose money? What if I lose this relationship that's no longer serving me anyway? You know, what if, what if? And I think if we can just get past the fear of the unknown, we would have so many more options in front of us. And j- man, just like you, I'm always mm-hmm. go, 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 go. And like the thought of slowing down, even for a day, scares me. The shit out of me. So for people like me who don't know how to slow down, what tools, what can we do to, even if we have to force ourselves, how do we get comfortable with being, how do I say this? How do we get comfortable with not only with being alone, but being alone with our thoughts without distractions? Hmm. So I
0: have two things I want to say. First, I think one of the mantras that I learned along the way is I can't mess up anything that's really meant for me number one. And number two, what is meant for me will always find its way to me. So even if I didn't get it the first time around when it came by, it will come by again, and I will have an opportunity again to go for it. So nothing's ever really lost. And, you know, I have a pretty diverse background, even in my therapy career. I worked in a lockdown facility with the DOC. I did work with the Veterans Affairs Administration right? And I did work with the public school system, juvenile justice system. I was a clinical director at a children's psychiatric outpatient, had my own private practice, right? And through all of those experiences, you know, on the outside, people would think I can never stay in one space, right? Or how come she's always moving around? And what I've learned to say is, It may look that way, but I also gained things from each position I was Mm -hmm. in because everything that I have done in my past, regardless if it was in my therapy world or in my business realm, right, with the undergrad degree in my business area, has served its purpose to where I am today. So if you look at things as everything you do is adding to your toolbox, Right. So that because wherever you're heading, you're going to need something from the past that you've done. Nothing's lost ever. You may have learned what not to do, but nothing was ever lost. Everything was gained, in my opinion. So if you can learn to reframe it and empower yourself that way, that goes a long way with feeling defeated or having that fear. It makes that fear become bearable. And I think that's the biggest thing is how do you make fear not paralyze you, but bearable and doable, because we all have fear. And if you don't have fear, I think you're not living, you got to have risks, you got to be able to take risks. And so to go back to the question that you asked, (laughs) because that was going around and about. But the question being right, like, as a high achiever, how do you get okay with being still? It's practice. It is literally practice. And it's not something that happens overnight. It's little things that you can do every single day. And so the focal point exercise, for example, if you can sit in a chair, get somewhere where you're comfortable, stare at a point on a wall on the floor somewhere on in front of you, and you put that timer on for 30 seconds, you learn how to sit with that agitation that comes up as you're sitting there. Because when you sit still, Your brain, and you're not used to sitting still, your brain literally is saying, what is this feeling? I don't know what this is. I can't put a compartment, like I can't find the compartment it belongs in. And so it creates this agitation in our bodies. And that is what you're learning how to do is to get comfortable with that agitation without becoming impulsive and feeling like you have to do something. And the more you can learn how to sit still like that and build up that stamina, build up that muscle the more you will be
1: able to learn
0: how to just be and it won't feel bad.
1: I relate with that because let me, let me look back. Let's see. I did, I worked at Pizza Hut. <laughs> I was in the Marines. Then I decided to go towards the mental health route. So I got my master's. Mind you, I was a high school dropout. I never made it past freshman year. So I have a, technically I have an eighth grade education. And Mind you, I got my master's later, but I got a GED. Um, I then went and worked in the federal prison system, which was just absolutely just a terrible experience. Then I worked in hospice. Then I worked in discharge planning and hospital. Then I worked at the VA. I actually still work there. Um, And then I decided I'm going to start doing psychic readings and I still do that. And then I decided I'm going to start a podcast. And then I decided I'm going to do one-on-one coaching and I'm going to open a private practice. I have done everything under the sun sometimes I don't even realize how much I've done and I'm like like slow the fuck down I am literally always doing new projects and I'm like oh I'm gonna learn how to edit I'm gonna learn how to do this and so sometimes it's like I complain so much that I'm like I'm tired but then I'm like you do this to yourself like you you don't know how to slow down but it's so fucking hard to just force myself to slow down because it's like my brain is constantly going but I feel also more fulfilled and more distracted from other things when I am doing something. So I resonate with that so much because it's so difficult to slow down. And even when it comes to, like you said, scrolling on TikTok, I feel like I'm addicted to my phone, partly because I have to work and I have to be on there, but I know damn well I don't have to be on there as long as I do. Do you feel like social media is addicting or do you feel like people who are burned out are more susceptible? What's the role with social media and burnout?
0: I think um, it can come at it from two different ways and at two different angles, right? And still meet in the same spot where it is not good for our brains and our health at times. Um, With social media, you know, I think we were never taught phone etiquette. And then here comes social media and we're not taught healthy ways to interact with our phone. We're not taught how to have a healthy relationship with our phone. And so we think our phone's supposed to just be next to us and we're supposed to have access to things 24-7 and just boom, go, right? And so it also is that um, part where we need that instant gratification and it just keeps doing the dopamine in the brain. And so if you can learn how to build a relationship with your phone It's healthy. Like phones aren't bad. It's just like everything else. The phone itself is not bad. It's our relationship to it it, is whether or not it's going to be considered good or bad, healthy or unhealthy. And so some things I recommend, you know, when you go to bed at night, put your phone in the other room. There's research out there that shows us that even if the phone is like next to us on our nightstand, we're looking for it. Even when we're sleeping, we're looking for it. We're not truly resting. And so, and never mind the radiation stuff that's coming out of the phones, and you shouldn't be having it near you, at least 15 feet near you, right? So, psychologically, though, we're constantly looking for that phone or we need to have it attached. So, if you can learn to separate yourself from it, create some strong boundaries with it, right? Don't go on your phone until. 12 noon, have an OG, OG, an OG (laughs) alarm clock. Right. And that's the DJ coming out. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) And so (laughs) learning how to just kind of go back to basics. You know, I even went as far as I got the old um, way of counting your steps. I because for a while I was using my phone to count my steps. And then I was like, you know what, I have an old fashioned watch on my hand that's 20 years old. And I have the count stepper That's like just battery operated because I am trying to detach myself from my phone and not let my phone run me and rather, hey, it's just a tool that I have in my life.
1: But why do we reach for the phone instead of reaching for a book or meditation? Because people who are burned out, myself included, I've been here, I'm still going through it. I know that the right thing to do to wind down, to relax my nervous system is to turn down the lights, read a nice book, don't expose myself to light, but instantly it almost feels more familiar to just turn on a crime show or Netflix or reach for my phone to wind down. Why do we do that?
0: In my opinion, I think it comes down to we've, you know, it's like an addiction. And so with addiction, right, we know from a neuroscience perspective, the more repetitive the behavior, the more we narrow our neural pathways, right, so that we narrow our options of what we're going to do when we feel a certain way. So and we train ourselves to go one way and it's only one option. So when we're feeling like this, the repetition of always going towards the TV or always going towards your cell phone, right, that is a learned behavior that's been reinforced over time, over and over and over and over if you can intentionally set yourself up for success by putting your phone in that other room and not having a TV in your room so all you have access to is your book and the low light, right? You will retrain your brain by doing that if you keep repeating that behavior over and over and over and over again. And I think for us high achievers, and I'm gonna put you and I in the same category for this one, okay? When we weren't taught healthy behaviors growing up, there's no way we should know how to do it. We have to teach ourselves. And so that can be another reason why people go right for their phones because they don't know any better. Just like Dr. Maya Angelou says, when you know better, you do better. So setting yourself up for success is key here. You can call it reparenting your inner child, but it's really simply putting things into place that you didn't have before, especially what led you to your burnout. Because I guarantee you the scrolling on the phone didn't just happen now. It's been something you've been doing for a very long time. And it's now you're realizing, oh, this is a problem.
1: Mm-hmm. I I've, I think I've gotten more serious about my health. Now I'm about to be 38. And This year has really been a challenge for me health-wise. I had surgery, had a tumor taken out, had an Mm -hmm. ovary removed. And although everything's benign and I'm good, it really put a lot of stress on my body. And it doesn't help that what I do in my career, I'm doing a million different things as well. Um, And so I've been focusing more on my health more lately. And I find that when I look back at all of the, the stress and the burnout that I had that accumulated over years at the time, I felt like I could handle it. You know, I got six hours of sleep at night and then I would have sleep debt on the weekends where I would sleep for 12, 13 hours because I was only getting five, six hours of sleep during the week. And for a while that was okay, but it caught up very, very quickly. And I'm now I'm paying the consequences in my late 30s, because my body can no longer do the things that it used to do, even though I'm super athletic, and I eat really well, it literally caught up. How can we recognize this early on? I know you talk about the four stages of stress. What are those stages? And how can we look out for it? Because I want people listening to recognize when they're in it, not when it's too late. And now you are backtracking to try to fix all of the years of burnout and stress that put a toll on your body, your physical body, your mental health, and your spiritual health? Because we don't want that. So
0: I think it's important to understand also, this is, I'm going to bring in the um, trauma-informed therapies component right now. We cannot out-eat, out-train, out-supplement, out-exercise our trauma. So if you experience childhood trauma, You are going to have to learn how to process that traumatized response, and you're going to have to learn how to sit with it and hold it and become friends with it and then let it go. And typically, that's when it happens in the trauma-informed therapies. Um, There's a lot out there. Um, you know, I've been on a couple of podcast episodes where when I start to identify some, I know there's a bunch out there. I'm just going to identify the top three that I can just say off the cuff, um, but know that I know there's a lot of other reputable trauma-informed therapies out there as well. So we're talking EMDR, IFS, internal family system, somatic experiencing. And I think when you start to heal that trauma, your body... Decreases the inflammation, right? And then that's when our gut health can really start to improve. That's when our body really learns how to relax. Yes, does exercise help us mitigate some of these things? Does eating healthy help mitigate some of these things? Absolutely. But if the root cause is childhood trauma, you got to go there first and you got to heal it through the body. And it's not necessarily always talk therapy, it is more likely going to be a mind body nervous system based trauma informed approach. Just need to put that out there. Um, And if you can refresh my memory, what was the question?
1: (laughs) Oh, so how do we recognize when we're in these stress responses? Are there specific stages? How do we recognize when we're currently going through those stress responses? So that way later on we can, so that way we're not looking back and trying to fix things, but we can maybe prevent further damage down the line. I think,
0: you know, most high achievers to begin with, we have this push through mentality, right? And we don't know how to acknowledge or even say, hey, there's something going on here. Um, I'm feeling tired. Because if we say something's going on, that's usually a sign of weakness to us, right? That's just what we were taught. Like, you don't do that. It's not an option. (laughs) You got to keep going. And then when we go from there, after the push-through mentality, then we start seeing those behavioral changes. When we see those behavioral changes, you know, that I mentioned earlier, eating more carbs, eating those satiating foods, the TikTok, getting lost on TikTok at midnight, We start also noticing the physical symptoms arising, and then we noticing our bodies completely shutting down. So with those four stages of stress, right, if you can start to adjust your mindset in the beginning, when you have that push through mentality, and you can start to say, okay, what's meant for me will not pass me by, I can take a moment to take a rest, I'm not going to mess anything up, because it will be here, nothing's going anywhere. That helps tremendously. And then when you start to notice your behavioral changes, that must mean, okay, I'm not doing enough to get the energy out of my system. And so that's when exercising, lifting weights, if you're able to, going outside in nature and walking, right? Because what do we know about that? That has the same change on our brain as meditation does when you're outside in nature and doing exercise. And so when you're noticing that happening, do movement. I think that's the best way to say it. Behavioral changes equal movement. And movement can also be breath work. It can be yoga. And then when you start to notice the physical symptoms, that's when I would say, hmm, maybe I need to be looking a little deeper here. And maybe I should be checking out a trauma-informed therapy because maybe something else is going on here if I can't fix it with just exercise or eating healthy. And when you do those trauma-informed therapies, you start to notice a shift. And then, hey, would you notice that? You're able to navigate your nervous system because it became flexible. And then that's when you'll notice, oh, working out does work out for me. It's not going to push me over the edge and then I'm done. And then ultimately, you know, if you got to the part where your body does just shut down, that is definitely your sign to be going and seeing a trauma-informed specialist that can really start to help you. And, you know, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes this might be where the medication is warranted.
1: If you had a button in front of you and all you had to do was push that button and you can make one change in our generation, in our world, what would that be? Oh, you, I think that is the best question I've ever been asked (laughs) on a podcast
0: interview. Um, If I could hit one thing, the button, it would be the authenticity button. I would love if I could hit a button and then everybody would learn how to be authentic, authentic to themselves, authentic with others, and they could speak their undeniable truth.
1: I want to pull from a card, a deck that I have. And um, I do this, I've been doing this with a couple guests on my podcast. And I don't know the questions. I haven't gone through even half the deck yet, but let's see what comes out. I'm just going to shuffle. And I like to, it's kind of like a closing tradition on my podcast now, because I feel like we could talk for another hour. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) Okay. So two came out. So let's, let's see. Ooh, this one is so perfect for us. Okay. What if you could let go of perfectionism in its entirety? What are the things you will need to stop obsessing over? Ooh, (laughs) this is going to sound so
0: bad. Um, my social media page. Why? Because I feel like it always has to be at a certain level. Um, and I'm thinking because, you know, I have, I'm a professor, right? So I have this level of, or a former professor, professor, I should say, you know, so I have this level that I need to be bringing to my social media page. So I'm always double thinking, overthinking, like, would I be presenting this in my class? So if so, how would this look like, right? So there's a lot of thinking that goes involved and I wanted it to look color coordinated. I want it to look like how it's just, oh, she knows what she's doing. Let's talk to her, right? Um, I think the other thing would be, this is, a, I'm going to put it this way. This is a really great question for me because this was something that I worked really hard on um, on my burnout recovery journey. To let go of perfectionism, you know, if you had asked me this question eight years ago, nine years ago, there was a lot of things I needed to let go. Um, I had to learn that I didn't need to care what other people think, so to say. Um, and when I say that, I care about the people that I love and I care what they think about me, but I don't care majority because I am everyone's on their own journey here. We are all here trying to do the best that we can. Um, so I don't know how to answer this question in the sense of, because I know, all right, I learned to not care what other people think about me. Check. I learned um, that I don't need a perfect life. It doesn't need to look perfect to everybody on the outside. It doesn't matter because as long as I am living a life that fulfills my soul and I know that I'm living with integrity, it doesn't matter if I don't have the best car anymore. If I don't have the perfect house, it really doesn't matter. True story. Pandemic time happened, and I had a three-floor condo. I sold, donated whatever I could, and I packed two suitcases only, and I drove down and moved to another state with only two suitcases after having a three-floor condo. I sold everything, donated everything, gave it away. And I think that was one of the most freeing things I've ever done.
1: I think a lot of us went through some real soul-searching during COVID, but what I love about the healing journey, especially when you have trauma, when you have perfectionism, especially us high achievers, it it becomes less weight that you have to hold on to, you know, when Mm -hmm. I just like you, my social media, I'm like, oh, it's got to look like that. And and now I, I don't care. I just post. But there's still those levels of like, okay, why isn't it getting views? Or why did I get it on this time? But now it's not. But I think that's just running a business. And those things may always be there. But it's just so freeing when I just don't care about my car anymore. I care about experiences. I care about um, longevity in my life and the relationships that matter. Yes. And I, to me, that's growth. And that in itself is process is, you know, as long as I know that I'm growing, I'm human and we, we're not perfect. It's just life. So Erica, I appreciate, and I'm so humbled for you coming on the show, um, sharing your, your, not only your experience, but your vulnerability it's not easy to, you know, come on a podcast and be, you know, worldwide and be like, Hey, these are my traumas too. I've gone through it as well. It's so relatable. Um, I want everyone to be able to find you. So I'm going to link your website and what you do. Is there any projects or anything that you want to share and where can people find you? You can find me
0: on facebook instagram or linkedin at the burnout professor my website theburnoutprofessor.com if you're wondering of any upcoming talks that i have you can always stay up to date on my instagram page and thank you for having me i was so excited when you reached out and was like would you like to be on my podcast and i was like uh yes please so i'm really happy that we got to connect and thank you for
1: having me likewise thanks erica